You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Presented by Owens Corning, the Angie app, and Quick Creek. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And if you've got a project you'd like to get done around your house, we can help. Reach out to us with your home improvement questions at 1 888 Money Pit or post them at moneypit.com by clicking on the blue microphone button. Maybe you got a project you'd like to do now or plan for the fall, which is just ahead. Maybe you got a decor dilemma or something that needs some fixing. Whatever it is, reach out to us because that's what we do. Coming up on today's show, do you know that the single most cost-effective way to increase your comfort and cut heating bills is adding attic insulation? We're going to share some tips on the easiest way to get this project done. And if you love outdoor spaces and you want to keep dining and entertaining from spring through fall, a patio heater definitely is going to start coming in handy in the next few weeks. We're going to review the options so that you can extend your outdoor living season well into the fall. And with home prices at an all-time high, it can be tempting to look for a good deal by buying a home that's been foreclosed on. Or is it? We're going to share the pros and the cons. But first, we want to hear what you are working on, from bathrooms to basements and demolition to decor. We're here to share expert advice to help you tackle your to-dos with confidence. So let's get to it. The number here is one eight 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 Money Pit eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four. Leslie, who's first? We've got Dennis on the line who needs some help building a dock at a Florida home. Tell us what you're working on. Oh uh, yes, I'm uh, having a uh, contractor uh, put in a dock dock. Florida home that's on a lake, a 200-acre natural lake, and I was asking about using the Trex type, the five, you know, the uh, uh, material for the surface, and he did not recommend. He did not think it would hold up. He said he had used not necessarily that brand, but others, and it, he didn't think it. It's fresh water, so I was just wondering, wondering if. Uh, if that would be a good idea or a bad idea. Well, I disagree with your builder when it comes to wear and tear because Trex is incredibly durable stuff. And I'll give you an example from uh, up here up here where I live in New Jersey. They use Trex to build the boardwalks. And there's a boardwalk that's been down here probably 20 years now that was built out of some of the original Trex. And it's only gotten better since then. So it stands up. The one thing you should be aware of, though, with any type of composite is it gets very, very hot. So since this place is in Florida, you're going to find if the, if the dock's in direct sun that it's going to get really warm uh, on a hot day and you will not be able to walk on this stuff in bare feet. So that's why a lot of dock builders will not use a composite because when it's exposed to a lot of heat like that, uh, it can be very uncomfortable. You wouldn't want to lay on it or have a chair on it or anything like that because it just gets so hot. It just holds a lot of heat. 
and wood's probably a better choice uh, in a situation uh, like that. But in terms of durability, there's nothing better. I'm building the Trex deck right now, and I got to tell you, I got no qualms whatsoever about the wear and tear on this stuff. I've seen it over the years, and ever since it came on the market, it's been one of the most durable decking products out there. Okay, well, uh, thank you then. Uh, yeah, I guess from the heat standpoint, that might be the the negative or maybe the reason to go with the five-quarter inch or the two-by. Uh, just uh, would be, I guess, more comfortable because, you know, we'll be lying on it and walking and all, whatever and all. So. Now, I do know that some of the manufacturers, including trucks here, they're going to start seeing uh, composite boards that have uh, UV re- uh, inhibitors in it where it basically is a UV reflectant designed to keep the temperature down uh, on those boards as well. So that may be coming in the future. But uh, for now, if it was me and I was in Florida, I would not use composite uh, in that particular application for that reason, just because it gets very, very warm. So hot. Okay, well, thank you very much. been a lot of help. All right, good luck with that project. All right, now we've got to head out to Alaska where LaDonna needs some help with snow management. <laughs> At least that's what I think is going on. What's happening, LaDonna? Yes, please. I live in Chugiak, Alaska, where we get plenty of snow each winter. My log cabin has a 612 pitch, and I'm wondering if I put tarps over my roof, whether the snow will slide off and prevent a lot of buildup. Uh, I typically get a lot of buildup each winter and use a roof late to take it down. But I was told that maybe the snow would slide off a, a tarp. I guess if, when you live in Alaska, you have to do a lot of work with snow management. So, LaDonna, um, I understand your concern, but I think it's probably not going to be that effective. And here's why. For, first of all, you live in, in Chugiak. I hope I pronounced that correctly, which is near Anchorage. So that's the southern part, the slightly warmer areas of Alaska, and the warmer uh, areas are going to have wetter snow. And when the snow gets wet, it gets stickier. If you were to improve the uh, sort of the texture of your roof in the way that would make the snow want to blow off, it's only going to happen when it's super cold and really dry and light and flaky. So I don't think that that's going to really give you any relief whatsoever for all the trouble uh, that it's worth. And on top of that, when it does stick, now you're going to have to, again, get up there with the roof rake, and it might even be harder to get it down. You certainly would damage your tarp. So uh, while I can appreciate the situation, I just don't think that that is going to work for you. And, uh, you know, the only thing that might work might be heated heating cables, which will stop it from building up quite as much. But again, that's expensive to run. So I think you're going to be stuck using that snow rake. That really is the best thing to do at this point. Chandler in Kentucky, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you today? My question for you is when it comes to insulating a new home, I'm building a new home in Mayfield, and I would like to know what's the best route. I I want to do a total encapsulation of the entire envelope of the house but I don't want it to cook my shingles in the hot summers and stuff. I don't want to have a vented roof system or anything. I feel like that's a very outdated method, but I, I just don't know, and I don't know any contractors that are educated enough to that give me an answer. So I'd really like to have some perspective from y'all on what would be the best approach as far as having a great insulation value, but not cooking your, your shingles in the summer with that hot, hot um, Kentucky heat that we can get. You know, Chandler, I've heard this uh, this same question over and over again, and uh, I think that the roofing shingle manufacturers sort of started uh, started this because they they have told some folks that their warranties will be voided unless they vented 
uh, the attic. But the truth is that you can go ahead and spray foam the inside of your attic and the entire building envelope with absolutely no fear whatsoever that this will shorten your roof shingles. You know what would shorten your roof shingle life like at about 10 times more than uh, worried about spray foam insulation? Just having a darker shingle. You know, if you look at white roofs versus black, roof, black roofs, the white roofs reflect more UV than a black roof. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that really impacts shingle life, not whether you use a spray foam insulation on the back side of it. Uh, there have been some folks that have done some really detailed studies on this. And if I remember the, the, the number correctly, I think the increase in temperature uh, of the sheathing was only about 3% because of the spray foam, which is infinitesimal and completely insignificant. So I would uh, have no worries whatsoever about shortened shingle life by using spray foam insulation, which is why, by the way, I myself have personally used it, and it's been up for several years, and I have no fear whatsoever that's going to shorten my roof shingle. So I think it's a great option for you. It's going to seal and insulate and make that home super comfortable for you in the years ahead. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Sydney on Ohio is on the line with a question about cedar shingles. How can we help you? I live in a raised ranch home, and I have cedar shingle siding um, on the front of my home. And the, the shingles themselves are in good shape. They were previously stained, and I'm wondering, now that they're fading, if there's any way I could paint them or do something different to them other than staining them. So, Cindy, the one thing to know about siding like this, cedar siding in particular, is that once you paint it, you're kind of committing to paint for the rest of the life of the siding on your house. If you continue with the stain, as you've noticed, the stain will fade, it'll change color, but it doesn't ever get to the point where you have like cracked strips of stain that, that would have to be pulled off with, with paint. That's what happens. It ends up cracking and separating from the cedar below and you'll have to scrape it all out to do another coat or at least rough up what's there. So I'm a big fan of stain on siding. Now that said, you have a lot of choices in stain. It doesn't have to be dark. You want to brighten it up, not a problem. You want to turn it into like a red cedar, you can do that. You want it to be gray, you could do that. I would recommend that you use a good quality solid color 
exterior stain. And the other thing about cedar siding is that sometimes it's helpful if you prime it first with an anti-tannin primer. There's certain types of primers that work well with cedar. And by doing that, you stop some of the oils from leaking through and impacting the quality of the stain. You know, we've taken care of the cedar siding on our house doing just that for many, many years. And I've had my siding last years and years and years, like way longer than it should have between coats of stain just because we did it right the first time out. So I'd recommend you skip the painting step and go right with the stain. Use the solid color stain, prime it first, and that's going to last as long as it possibly can. Well, adding insulation is the single most cost-effective way that you can improve your comfort and cut energy costs. And now that we're moving toward the colder weather, it really is a great time to take on that project. We've got tips on how you can do that in today's energy-saving tip presented by Owens Corning. Okay, so first up, let's talk about where to insulate because your attic plays a huge part in keeping your heating bills down. So that's where you start. And having enough insulation is key. Now, the experts at the Department of Energy say that most homes need 19 inches of fiberglass bat insulation or 22 inches of blown-in insulation. And frankly, most homes just don't have that now. So it's also just as important to make sure that insulation is doing its job by maintaining a dry and well-ventilated attic. So ventilation allows attic heat to escape to the exterior in the summer and also helps to cart away moisture in the winter, which can make the insulation ineffective and keep the roof surface at a more consistent temperature. And that will reduce the opportunity for ice dams to form. So once you double check that your attic is insulated well and that any existing insulation is not blocking your soffit vents, you should be good to go. But also don't forget to make sure that your bath exhaust fans are not dumping a lot of moisture directly into the attic because that's another thing that we see a lot. Now, when you're ready to tackle this insulation project and add some new insulation to your home, use Owens Corning's Pink Next Gen Fiberglass Insulation. The Pink Next Gen fits snugly into those floor joists, which is super important for the insulation to work well. It's soft to the touch. It's a lot easier to work with than the fiberglass of the past. And if you find that you need to add more insulation on top of existing insulation, you want to make sure that you're using unfaced fiberglass bats because this is going to help you avoid trapping moisture between the original insulation and the new stuff that you're adding. Now, if you have loose fill insulation, be sure to pick up Owens Corning's Attic Cat Blown-In Insulation and then rent the Attic Cat Blown-In Machine from your local Home Depot or Lowe's, and that's going to complete your job. With Blown-In, though, it's important that you add an even layer that's going to cover the joists. And one trick is to install rulers in a few places so you can actually measure the depth and make sure that you're adding a consistent level of insulation because you don't want sort of heavy-filled pockets, you know? Yeah, I remember one time when I was uh, doing a home inspection, um, one of the installers had had laid in, uh, you know, like sort of the cheap yardsticks that you see around. They're just like very plain Jane. And they had yardsticks like tacked up in like four or five places in the attic. And they could, they could tell that they had the exact same amount of insulation uh, in all of those spaces. So uh, it was a really cool trick of the trade. So last thing, when you're installing insulation, you want to make sure you avoid covering any recessed lighting or anything else that generates heat because that could be dangerous. So you want to just cut the insulation around them, leave a little space. And that wraps up today's energy-saving tip presented by Owens Corning. For more tips and advice or information on this project, just visit owenscorning.com or contact your local Home Depot or Lowe's store for help. Owens Corning insulation products are available at homedepot.com and lowes.com. We're going to head to West Virginia, where we've got Russ on the line, who's dealing with some flickery lights. What is happening? 
Well, I have a, a light fixture in my dining room, and it has 10 bulbs. Each one of the bulbs is an Edison-type bulb. Okay. I have it on. When I turn the hot water on, the light flickers. Okay? Hmm. Okay. But what I did was I took an incandescent bulb. I was just trying something. I took one incandescent bulb and put in the light fixture. I can put the incandescent bulb in any position, and it doesn't <laughs> I was going to ask you that. Okay, so a couple of questions. First of all, the, the uh, water heater, is this an electric water heater? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. So when the electric water here's I'm going to give you a, a suggestion here of what might be happening. When the electric water heater comes on, it's going to pull a lot of current and cause a voltage drop across the whole system. And okay. when that comes on, the amount of current going to those LED bulbs that are majorly in your uh, ceiling fixture with an LED when you get below a certain amount of voltage, it, it starts doing weird things like flicker. It doesn't evenly dim. Like an incandescent bulb, it always comes on, and sometimes maybe it's not as bright uh, while that uh, voltage drop is happening. But with an LED, mm-hmm. it starts to flicker when it goes below a certain level. Unless it's a dimmable LED, but that's another conversation. Well, good luck with that project. Heading to Pennsylvania where Amanda's online and dealing with some floor squeaks. What's going on? We just got a house. It's about 100 years old, but it's in great condition. It has the original hardwood floors, which are in great condition as well, but some of them creak, especially the stairs. What can we do to fix some of the soft spots and some of the creaky areas? They have about the one-inch pieces of board that run across without ruining the original hardwood. So when you have a beautiful old home and you've got wood floors that squeak, that's like the charm bonus right there. You know, some people pay more for that. So trying to find the source of those squeaks is challenging. I can tell you why they happen. They happen because the boards move and they rub against each other. And that's what makes that squeaky sound. You can try to lessen them by tightening those loose boards where you find them. But it's the kind of thing that I think, Leslie, you chase them and you like you figure out one spot that's like squeaking and you fix that and it's quiet. And then you take two steps and it's opened up somewhere else, right? Yeah, for sure. It's like you're constantly moving to the next squeaky sound, creaky sound. Yeah, so you can try to tighten up those boards. And I'll tell you what types of hardware to use. Uh, essentially what you want to do is you want to screw those floors down to the floor joists below. And there's a type of screw. It's a very specialized type of screw. Not hard to find, but it's called a trim screw. And the reason you're using screws is because when you put them in, they don't pull out. And because it's hardwood, you're going to have to do a pilot hole first. And then you drive in the trim screw, which is a very, very narrow screw with a narrow head. You typically would use a screwdriver with a bit on the end that basically fits into the top of the trim screw, and you can drive it down right below the surface of the wood. They're almost impossible to see when they're done, and if you tighten up those areas, you can also do it on stair treads, which you mentioned were making some noise. That will help to quiet it down, but don't expect it to be completely silent. That ship has sailed. It's not going to happen, (laughs) right? But uh, you could probably get a lot better than it is right now. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. 
It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, we've got Tom on the line who's dealing with a plumbing issue outside of the house. What's going on? Hi. Uh, I have a question about the spigots on the outside of the house. They're over 20 years old and seem to be pretty leaky. If I can buy a kit to just make them not leaky anymore, if they should be replaced. Well, Tom, that definitely happens with uh, older faucets. The seals kind of wear out. In terms of a kit, you know, there are PEX kits out there that are designed to replace the old hose bibs that you might be able to use if you're familiar with that. I would make sure before I dive in here that there's a shutoff valve for that faucet on the inside of your house so that you can turn the water off. And then you may be able to cut the old pipe out uh, and insert a new PEX-based exterior faucet. Now, PEX is uh, cross-link polyethylene piping and has all the various valves and fixtures available to go with it. But it's really easy to join it to the old copper piping and do so uh, in a permanent way that's not going to leak. And that will give you a new functioning outdoor faucet to use from that point forward. Remember, though, regardless of whether it's PEX or not, you've got to turn those off in the wintertime because if you don't, that's an area that's primed to freeze and break. Well, if you love your outdoor spaces and you want to keep dining and entertaining there, spring through fall, a patio heater definitely comes in handy. So here's a quick overview of the options. The first thing you need to consider is the fuel. Now, patio heaters are constructed to function using, I guess, three different fuel types, propane, natural gas, or electricity. Yeah, and I think the next thing you should start thinking about is, you know, do you want to keep it in one spot or do you want it to be portable? Because there's two options out there. A stationary heater is going to hook up to your natural gas line, so you don't have the tanks that you're going to need to be replacing or refilling or moving around. But if you plan on moving the heater to different locations, you will need a portable propane model. Now, portable patio heaters can either be freestanding or tabletop, both are awesome. Both work well. You just kind of have to figure out where you're using it and what works best. 
Exactly. Now, you also want to consider the heating power because this is going to really determine how much heat it actually throws. So, for example, a 45,000 BTU heater is going to produce a 20-foot heat diameter. So that would be plenty to cover like a patio table. Freestanding heaters are also typically more powerful than the tabletop heaters, so they can be used for bigger groups. Yeah, and lastly, it's important to know if the patio heater will be for an open or closed area. Now, for outdoor use, a freestanding gas heater can deliver a tremendous amount of heat to that surrounding area, but for enclosed areas like a patio space under a roof, an electric portable patio heater is really going to end up being your best choice. Yeah, and of course, no matter what kind of patio heater you choose, you want to make sure you read and follow the manufacturer's operational instructions. And I might add their maintenance instructions because I've often found that those patio heaters, somehow when you put them away in the middle of winter and you take them out again, they seem to corrode. They will get spider's nests inside of the gas pipes where the propane comes through. So they do need a fair amount of maintenance. And you just need to know that that happens and follow it. It's not hard to do, but just don't get frustrated when you turn it on the second season and it doesn't work because that's going to be why. Sherry in Tennessee is on the line with a question about a dryer. What is going on at your money pit? We have recently renovated our home and the um, we have noticed that with our dryer, if, you know, and they'll be dry and sometimes I have just left them in there and I have to re-fluff them to get the wrinkles out or something. But when I go back to them, um, if it's been overnight, they're pretty damp. And I didn't know if that was more of a dryer issue or maybe it's the way we have it hooked up. It's in the laundry room, which is offside the kitchen, and is accessed through a vent just through the main, you know, the wall and to the outside. Right. So let me ask you a question about this. If you're standing at the dryer and the signal goes off signaling that the, the drying load is done, are the clothes damp then? Or do they, do they, do they become more damp when they sit overnight? They become more damp overnight. I mean, this sounds like a condensation thing where you've got the dryers all warm and toasty from the clothes being dried, and perhaps then it's on like a cold wall or exposed to air conditioning or something, right, Tom? Maybe. It's a really odd problem. I can't imagine what's causing it unless there is high humidity. Do you have any evidence of high humidity anywhere else in that area? Do you see condensation? Do you see any mold growth? Does it feel like humid and sort of the air is thick down there, or is it only in the dryer? I've not really noticed it. Do you have a steam dryer? Does it have a water line that's hooked up to it? Is it a newer dryer that has a steam setting? No. I can't imagine what's causing this but for, like you say, Leslie, the humidity down there. And so I'm going to give you some general advice on dehumidifying that space. Okay. Which is all that humidity starts on the outside of the house. It starts when you have gutters that are clogged. It starts when the soil around the house is really flat so you don't get any runoff or the downspouts aren't directed at least four or five, six feet away from the foundation. Because when you have a lot of water that collects around the, around the house like that, it shows up first in the, in the way of high humidity and, and much later if it continues in the form of flooding. So I would definitely look at the dampness issue and see if we can dry that space down there. You might want to try a portable dehumidifier for a while just to see if that has an effect on it. But even if you have that running, stopping the moisture from forming at the outside is usually the way that you get this under control. Okay. And it's something you can do yourself, too. It's not terribly expensive, but just you just have to understand why this is happening. We have a post 
on MoneyPit.com. It's almost always on the homepage because it's so popular about how to stop a basement from flooding. Now, of course, you said you don't have a basement that's flooding, and I understand that, but the advice is exactly the same, and we lay out step-by-step what you need to do to reduce moisture accumulation around the foundation perimeter of your house. So why don't you take a look at that as well, Sherry, okay? Thank you so much. All right, heading down south to Florida, we've got Glenn standing by who has got some question about termites and insulation. Let's see what's going on. How can we help you, Glenn? What I'm trying to find out, uh, our termite pest control has came out with a attic insulation that they say is borax-treated. It's a cellulose. And that it should, you know, control termites that may get up into the attic. You know, we have a lot of what's called the Formosa termites. I'm just trying to find out, have you heard anything on this? Is it of value to put it in? Yeah, the idea of mixing borax in with insulation is not a new idea. Those products have been around for a long time. Now, you in this case, you have a you know you have a pest control company that obviously is trying to uh, do an extension on their existing built and their existing business, uh, and I get that you know they're looking for other ways to 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 expand their their business. You do have um, a problem in Florida with Formosa termites where they are not subterranean like we have up here in the north where they come in. In our case, they come up from the ground so we can treat the perimeter. So when you have a whole house problem like that, you've got to, your treatment's got to be you know from top to bottom. So I don't know that it's a bad idea. I don't know how effective it is. I would love to see some data on this as opposed to just it sounds like a good idea. I don't think it's terribly common, but I I can't tell you that it's not going to work. I just don't think it's common enough for for me to have a strong opinion on whether or not this makes sense or not. Certainly, you know, homes in Florida with regular inspections can be very well protected against termites. And just because you have this insulation that's treated with borax doesn't mean you should not be having regular inspections because that's the way to stay on top of this. The problem becomes when you don't do this and then you get these big surprises. And, and Leslie, you know, if that happens, what they have to do in Florida is tent these houses. They basically oh my gosh, I've seen put it. the house under a tent. That's they right. look like circus tents. Yeah. They're always like the most ridiculously striped looking things ever. Yep. So that's what you want to avoid. So regular inspections is your best defense first. All right. Well, you've given me a lot of good information to go on. So I appreciate the call. Right. Well, glad to help. Thank you. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, with the U.S. home prices still rising, I mean, is there ever going to stop? Nope, it seems like they're just going to get more and more and more expensive. So 
What do you do? I mean, it can be kind of tempting to look at a good deal by buying a house that's been foreclosed. You know, it's not a bad way to get a potential price break, but there are a lot of pros and a lot of cons that you need to consider before you do take that plunge. So first, let's talk about pros. You're going to see a lower price, which is amazing. I mean, the biggest advantage of buying a home that's in foreclosure is the price because they're being sold under duress. Foreclosed homes are typically cheaper than comparable homes in that same area. Now, you've also got motivated sellers. Lenders don't want to own foreclosed properties, and they're looking to move them quickly, and some lenders will beautify the property or even make some repairs. And, you know, there's a good chance to build equity here. If you're buying a cheaper home that needs renovation, you've got a chance to increase your equity when it's all fixed up. Now, products like the FHA 203K mortgage, they can help because this mortgage offers enough money to buy and then gives you the money to rehabilitate that property as well. So there's interesting ways to look at how you can get your money and what you can do with it. And while all that sounds very wonderful, it is my job to warn you about the cons of buying a foreclosed property. Number one is it's sold as is. When you buy a house out of foreclosure, that means you're buying the house as is, warts and all. And some foreclosed homes have issues, severe structural issues or code violations or mechanical issues that can really cost you thousands to fix. I mean, homeowners that are being evicted may have abused the home and not paid for needed repairs. And the other risk is that typically, or I should say maybe not typically, but fairly often, uh, you can't get a real good home inspection on a foreclosed house because the utilities are off. And if the utilities are off, there's a lot your home inspector cannot do. Cannot check the plumbing system, the electrical system, the heating system, the air conditioning system, and so on. So a lot of risk there. And then lastly, the home actually might not go up for sale. If you've got your eye on a foreclosed home, keep in mind that it can take months or years for it to actually go up for sale. And if it ever does at all, a lot of states give homeowners a lot of opportunities to catch back up on their mortgages. So you could be sitting on that house and stocking money away and expecting you're going to have a shot at buying it. And guess what? It just never happens. If you want some more tips, we've got a post on moneypit.com that outlines all of this and a lot more. It's simply called, Is It Bad to Buy a Foreclosed Home? And it's on moneypit.com. So check it out today. Well, John's working on a project, and he wrote in saying, we had a very expensive summer due to high air conditioning bills, and I'm considering adding two Whirlybird turbine vents to my roof to help remove some of the heat in the attic. Is this the best way to cool the attic and hopefully reduce my air conditioning costs? Ah, so the difference between ventilation here and air conditioning, or the the relationship between ventilation and air conditioning is not always a direct one, but here's the situation, John. First of all, sure, venting your attic is always a good idea when you have bat insulation. But uh, those spinning vents that are spot put, like in maybe one one in one roof plane, one in the other roof plane, not the best choice. If you really want a good choice in insulation, I'm sorry, in ventilation, use a continuous ridge vent. It goes all the way down the peak of the roof. And soffit vents at the overhang. So this way air goes in the soffits, under the roof sheathing, carting away all that heat, and out the ridge vent. When you put those uh, spinning vents in, and, and also, by the way, attic fans are even worse because they'll draw air uh, from the attic vents right outside, and then they'll reach down to your house and steal some of your air conditioning there. That's definitely not as good as using a ridge and a soffit vent system. So I would definitely recommend that. But even before you improve that ventilation, take a look at your insulation. If you don't have at least 19 inches of fiberglass bat insulation or 22 inches of blown in, you don't have enough insulation. And if you want to keep your house cool and keep the hot side hot and the cool side cool, put in more insulation as well. 
All right. Next up, Brian wrote in saying, I recently lost power to two rooms in my house. A friend had me test a few things, and he said there's a bad wire somewhere in the wiring. (laughs) I would hire an electrician, but we're trying to save some money right now, so I'm going to have to do this job myself. Is there a device I can use to test the wiring in the house and find this bad wire? Better yet, how do I go about doing that? Yeah, you don't. Look, there's a reason electricians work for years before earning their licenses. Electrical work is hazardous. It is not for someone who simply considers themselves handy without having significant electrical experience. I get your desire to save money, but listen, not only could this be dangerous to you, if you don't fix this, it could be dangerous to your house. In terms of checking things out further, there is one simple thing you can do for calling a pro, and that is to pick up an outlet tester. Now, outlet testers are inexpensive, and they'll tell you at least whether your outlets are wired correctly. They can tell, for example, if the outlet is grounded or not grounded. They can tell if the wiring is reversed. It's called reverse polarity. It can detect that. And if there's a ground fault on the circuit, it can test the GFCI. But beyond that, you really need to have a pro to do the investigation, figure out what's going on, and fix it. Yeah, you know, Brian, I mean, when it comes to electrical issues, we're all about trying to help you figure stuff out and wanting to tackle this yourself. But there's also a risk of some serious injury here should something go wrong. And with electrical work, there's great potential for something to go wrong. So while we'd love to help you do it yourself, we also want to help you, you know, keep things safe at home. So we're happy to tell you when this is something maybe you should ask a pro. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show coming to you on air and online at moneypit.com. Hey, thanks a lot for spending a bit of time with us today. Hope that we've inspired you with some tips and advice to take on projects around your house. The fall is just ahead. It's what we call the Goldilocks season because it's not too hot. It's not too cold to take on projects inside and outside your house. So if you're thinking that way and you're starting to make some plans, we can help. Reach out to us anytime at one 888 Pit. For now, that's all the time we have. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.